Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. We have two readings this morning. First one from Psalm 121, which is found on page 622 of the Bibles in the pews. Psalm 121. And the second one is from Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, which is on page 1001. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And then from Matthew chapter 28... I'll just start at the beginning of verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Good morning. Let's pray together that God would speak to our hearts today. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to worship you together and to be together. And we pray this morning that you'd open our hearts and our minds to your word, that we might receive from you, and it would make a difference to our lives and impact the way that we follow you and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we continue our sermon series, which is going to go on uh, throughout the morning services this whole term, about the promises of God. All of us will have read books and seen films in which early on in the book or early on in the film, a character is given a present usually a present with very special properties. So I'm thinking, say, of The Hobbit, and in that book, a sword called Sting is given to Bilbo, and this sword lights up, becomes luminous in the presence of orcs. Or I might be thinking of Lord of the Rings, not least the ring itself, or in Harry Potter, the invisibility cloak, or in the Narnia stories, Susan is given a bow and arrow that can't really miss. 
or a horn that if she blows in it will summon help. And if you've got any gumption at all, you know when this happens early on in the film or early on in the book, you just have more than a sneaking feeling, ah, it's probably going to be relevant. It's probably going to pop up later on. I got up very early this morning to review this sermon. I only wrote it yesterday, but I still wanted to review it. And I was thinking, well, what could be more immediate for us sitting here today? What could be some kind of presence? And I knew that always on my left there sits a phalanx of parents. So I was thinking, well, suppose that when they had their babies baptized, I gave him what looked like a sweet paper, and in it something that looked identical to a lump of sugar. And I said to them, to the parents, quietly, out of earshot from the microphone, this is a very special look-alike lump of sugar. And whoever swallows it will behave in a way that you think is exemplary for precisely 15 minutes. <laughs> and I left it to them, whether they decided to swallow it, whether they would, who they'd give it to, or whether they just put it in a sugar bowl and watch what happened. Well, what we don't expect to happen in all these examples, we don't expect that Susan will think to herself, I can't be bothered with a bow and arrow, I'll just leave it behind. We don't think that Harry Potter will say about his invisibility cloak, oh, I'll just use it as a duster. We, we don't think that uh, the Hobbit will leave behind his sword or that Frodo will just chuck away the ring. But well, we do think that, actually, if we've read the book. <laughs> but we'd be disappointed if a parent with a sugar lump just kind of thought, hmm, and left it behind in church, never to be used again. Now, why do I say this? Because in some ways, the promises of God that we are looking at in the Scriptures week by week by week, if we've got any gumption at all, we will see that they are presence that God is entrusting to us and they most assuredly and certainly will have a part to play in our lives if we know what the promises are and how to apply them not one of God's promises are idle promises or redundant promises but we need to see them know them and know how to apply them and I think it's a tragedy that most of us, without meaning to, actually do lay them aside, do kind of put them at the back of a cupboard and forget them. Well, the job of this sermon series is to remind us of some of them. And today we're looking at a promise that I think God repeats more than any other promise. He says it so often. In fact, I, I've chosen two promises, really. I'm cheating a bit this morning. The promise of God's company with us and the assurance that God cares for us. Those are the two promises we're going to delve into this morning. The promise of God's company with us. As I say, I cannot think of another promise that God repeats more often than the promise, I am with you. I am with you. You are not alone. And I ask myself, well, why would God repeat that so often? Well, the most straightforward reason might be because it's so important. If something is outstandingly important, we say it again and again and again and again. 
And it seems to me this is outstandingly important because God repeats it again and again. Secondly, a reason why it might be repeated is because we're inclined not to believe it. And so he needs to rub it in. Let me give you some examples of what I mean by a repeated promise. These are very obvious. You could find these and just by looking up in a concordance, I am with you. To Isaac, he says, that night the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I'll bless you. To Moses, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses saying to the children of Israel, Deuteronomy 31, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. To Gideon, when the angel appears, he says, the Lord is with you. In Isaiah, Isaiah says, don't fear, says the Lord, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am the Lord your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. A little later on in Isaiah, and now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, O Jacob, who he formed, fear not. For I've redeemed you, I've summoned you by name, and you're mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they won't swamp you. And when you walk through the fire, you won't be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Saviour. And you'll find on the back of your service sheet, uh, we've had printed just a number of Bible references that when you get home, you could just look up, and you could see how again and again and again the Lord says, I'm with you. And the very first point that I really want to establish beyond doubt is that God has absolutely gone on record promising, promising that he will be with us. Now you might be tempted to say, but hang on a minute, Rupert, are you being fair to what God really says? Because when you read out some of those texts and it says, God says to Isaac, I will be with you. How does that apply to us? Aren't you just jumping from the pages of Isaac, Joshua and Gideon say, and making it a broad promise. Well, you have a point. You might be right to a degree, but I think God doesn't treat us any differently than the way he treated these individuals. But even if you discard those, we could go very certainly to texts where there is a blanket promise from God that he walks with his people. And one of them was read by Edwina just now from the very end of Matthew 28, where Jesus said to the disciples, surely... Or most assuredly, I'm with you to the very ends of the age. And John records something very similar. Jesus saying in John 14, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. And again, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And this is saying as clearly as God can say it, you need never walk alone. You need never walk alone. I want to take us to just a couple of other scriptures because it's not Rupert saying it, I want you to remember. It's the scriptures saying it, I want you to remember. Psalm 23, if you turn to that on page 555. And it's so lovely that it's such a familiar scripture 
But what I want us to see as we put together Psalm 23 and Psalm 121 is that we have 24-7 protection and 360-degree protection. I wonder if you've ever noticed before in Psalm 23 that the Lord goes ahead of us, or if you like, the shepherd goes ahead of a sheep, he walks with a sheep, and he follows the sheep. The Lord's my shepherd, I shan't be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me. That's the Lord going ahead of us. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness, even for his name's sake. And then verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me, e.g. alongside me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me. Do you see he leads, he walks alongside, he follows. The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. And in Psalm 121, which uh, we had read for us, I, I didn't notice this until incredibly recently, a psalm that probably most of us know very, very well. Have you ever noticed that five times, five times it's repeated in the psalm, the Lord will watch over you. So if we were doing a sermon series on promises that God repeats, well, it's repeated five times in this psalm. And so I think probably the overriding message a psalmist wants us to know is God watches over you. God cares. Just uh, let's flag them up together. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And incidentally, that is the big struggle. The big struggle when we're in a pickle is to lift our eyes up to the hills. It's desperately difficult. It's much easier to go into your shell. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He won't let your foot slip. He who watches over you won't slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord watches over you. The Lord's your shade at your right hand. The sun won't harm you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. And of course, what we all know by common experience is that the mind plays tricks on us. And there are chapters in our life sometimes we wouldn't pick them, but they arrive when it's very difficult to feel that the Lord is close. When you're in grief, for example, or when events turn out not how you wished them to or never expected, when you're in receipt of bad news, or sometimes just overwhelmed by the sorrow and the complexity of what's going on all around us. And it's very common accusation in those moments to turn on God and say, well, you might see what's going on. The Lord watches over you. Well, what on earth use is that? Does it make any difference at all? Are you indifferent to what you see, God? And if you've ever felt like that, it's reassuring to know you're not the first or last person to do that. And the scriptures are accurate enough and honest enough and God is big enough to allow it to be recorded that people have turned on him many times in history. 
So Isaiah says, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? God's heard that before. The disciples, when they were in a boat and Jesus was asleep in the stern and this great storm came up, woke Jesus up and they said exactly the same thing. Don't you care if we perish? Again, in Isaiah, Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me, God has forgotten me. So how does God reply to these things? Very head on. He says to them, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she's born? Though she may forget, I'll not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. That's graphic. Jesus to the disciples answers the question whether, whether he cares or not by facing down the storm. And the difference these promises make that God says, I will be with you, is that so often it's accompanied by immediately the command, so don't fear. So don't be afraid. When we understand that God is indeed with us, then fear is replaced, the scripture says, with peace, and despair is replaced by hope. We know, don't we, this is childish, but it's important. We know the experience, I hope we do, of feeling safe simply because of the company we're in. And so we think it's meant to be that a child should feel secure in the company of its parents because that's what parents are meant to be able to offer. We know that even in the playground you get protection from a bully if you're with someone who you can trust, who can be there for you. It's meant to be that the sight of a policeman in your road is reassuring. You're meant to feel safer for knowing they're there. And it's meant to be that the knowledge that God walks alongside us secures our peace for us. We have a wonderful example of how to apply this actually practically in our lives from a man in the scriptures who's really been through it and how. And I'm thinking of Paul. No one could think of the Apostle Paul as just a kind of sheltered sort of guy writing from the safety of his study to whom we want to say you need to get out more. Uh, he got out plenty. So he wrote to the Corinthians when he was being challenged by a small group of people who were kind of bigging it up for themselves. He finds himself provoked and he says to them, well, look, I'll show you my credentials. And then he trots out the way he suffered. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. 
I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, if a guy's been through all that, I want to hear from him. So what sustains you then? What's kept you going? How come you haven't thrown in the towel? What's the secret of your endurance? And I think he helpfully spells that out for us, amongst other places, in Romans chapter 8. Well, he says, well, this has kept me going. I'm sure that nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is mine in Christ Jesus. And he puts it this way, what or who can separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, in brackets, all of which I've experienced, says Paul. No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because I'm convinced, he says, that neither death or life, angels or demons, things in the present or the future, or any powers, height or depth, nothing in all creation could separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. E.g., he's saying, God's promise is, I am always with you. I'm always with you. And he writes in so many letters, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, and the God of love and peace will be with you. And to the Philippians, and the God of peace will be with you. And it should stir us up to realize that only the God of a resurrection can look us in the face and say, I am with you always. I can't say that to you. You can't say that to me. Death will separate us. But God can say it to us because he's risen again from the dead. So he can look me in the face and say, Rupert, I will always be with you in life, in death, and after you've died forever. And I can't help it. I sort of respond initially to saying, well, hang on a minute. Aren't the strings attached? I mean, do you mean really you'll be with me when things are going well? And God would say, yes, Rupert, I'll be with you when things are going well, but I'll be every bit as committed to you when things are going terribly badly, as far as you're concerned. I am with you always. And part of me wants to yes but him and say, yes, but aren't you committed to somehow being connected to me while I provide an acceptable level of performance? And God says, yeah, I'm pretty committed to you, very committed to you while you provide a level of performance, but I'm committed to you whatever your level of performance it's going to make no difference whatsoever. I am committed to you. I will be with you always. What difference does it make to know this? All the difference in the world. And if it's not making any difference, it can only mean two things, really. Either you don't believe it, or you don't know how powerful and big and for you the God is who walks with you. And I think that's actually true for all of us. We don't really know how powerful he is or how much he cares, or how committed he is. But let's try and involve him. I'm trying to think of an illustration to illustrate this. And the rather sad illustration, I thought, was suppose that a game of, fen of cricket is going on at Fenners this week, and some of the members of the England cricket squad turn up, and they just say, we'd like to play for Cambridge today. We'll help you out. Well, to include them in the team, you would have thought would be an advantage, and help. But it'd be sad if you put them into bat at numbers 
kind of 9, 10, 11, and they never actually did it. Because you'd never know how much they would have helped you. It'd be sad if we kind of know in theory God walks alongside us, but we don't put him into bat with us. We don't ask him to walk alongside us to make a difference. Let me give you an illustration of how the disciples discovered the difference. They were once in a boat all together. And they were rowing on the lake for Capernaum. And Jesus was not in the boat on this occasion. And the odd thing about this story is they were, as you know, fishermen. So you'd have thought they'd be very confident on a lake. But a storm's whipped up and they are absolutely terrified. We're told that they're not making any headway at all. And then they see this figure walking on the waters towards them. And this figure, who is Jesus, says to them these very simple words. It's me. In the Greek, he just says actually two words. I am. I am. And then he says, don't be afraid. It's the same formula all over again. I am with you. But the emphasis is on the word, it's me, myself. It's God in flesh coming alongside you. And the implication is because it's me, what on earth are you doing worrying? And God would say that to all of us in our little boats, which are rocky and leaking, and when we feel vulnerable, whatever the scenario, he would say, I am. And I'm right with you. So what on earth are you doing worrying? It is I myself. Don't be afraid. Sometimes children's songs help us to get the message, even though they're annoyingly simple. But basically, you know, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. We'll try that again. My, I'm not going to sing it, though I'm tempted. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. There's nothing that he cannot do. So what are we doing worrying? What are we doing worrying? So where do we go with these promises? How do we apply them into our lives? Well, I would say, first thing, keep your sword sharpened. The sword of the scriptures, keep it sharpened and ready for action. It's no point having these promises tucked away at the back of the cupboard. Remind yourself, remind yourself of God's promise to be with you and for you. There was once a theological conference at which the great theologian Karl Barth was attending, and Barth was voluminous in his written output. He, he was known throughout the world, and still is, as a profound uh, theologian. And someone asked him at question time in a Q&A, how do you know that God loves you? And to everyone's amazement, he quoted from a children's song. He just said, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. He was claiming the promise of God. Sharpen your sword. Secondly, rely on the promises in the same way a pilot rely, relies on the dials in front of him or her when flying at night. 
I was reading the memoirs of a Spitfire pilot, and he described vividly his first few trips at night, saying that it was so dark oftentimes that he didn't know where the horizon was or wh even which way up his plane was. And he said the only way he could tell was by looking and trusting the dials in front of him. And there will be occasions in our lives where it's trusting the promises of God that see us through. So trust the promises. And a way to get into this is to do it intentionally when things are going well. It's much easier if we've learned to trust or are learning to trust God in the good days when the challenges come. We've got some practice in. Thirdly, call on the Holy Spirit for help. It's the Holy Spirit who bridges the gap between what you read on the page and what you feel in your heart. And he actually ministers the promises to make them true. It's not just head knowledge I'm talking about. There's a fantastic illustration of this in a letter that a man called Henry Venn wrote to his friend, the Countess of Huntingdon, after Henry Venn's wife had died, leaving him in charge of five children. Though the words are quite antiquated, and they still speak a powerful message, let me read them to you. So writing to his friend, he says, Did I not know the Lord to be mine? Were I not certain his heart feels even more love for me than I'm able to conceive? Were not this evident to me, not by deduction and argument, but by the consciousness, by his own light shining in my soul, as the sun's light shines upon my bodily eyes, into what a deplorable situation I would have been cast. Were there no Holy Spirit now to strengthen me, were there nothing more than a dependence on the word of promise without an almighty power and an agent to explain, impress it, and apply it, how my hands would hang down and my knees faint and I would fall under the pressure of my cross. But on the contrary, I abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit given to me and I am able to rejoice in tribulation from the experience I now have more than I possibly could in a less severe trial because the man of sorrows is as rivers of water in a dry place and gives me songs in the night. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Thirdly, remember you're not alone, not just because God is with you, but we're with you. God's family strives to support one another in times of difficulty. It's our job. It's what family members do. We're not cold and indifferent to one another's plight. It's part of the privilege of belonging together. And uh, there'll be times, I'm certain, where every single one of us will need the help of someone else in God's family. And of course, you can make it easier for yourself and easier for the church to do this well by belonging to a small group now. Don't wait till the chips are down before you start building relationships with God's family. Get stuck in now. And fourthly and lastly, as I conclude, we just need to grab hold of a realistic thing that's going on. We have a chance to trust God every day. We're all of us in the gymnasium in this one. We're all of us in training in this one. We're all of us some way along a process of learning to trust that God is with us. Even before the end of the day, there will be an opportunity to choose to trust God or not. And it seems to me, watching the people that are leading me, as it were, they give examples of trusting God every day, every week, every month. 
And they encourage me to trust. To trust that God walks with us and we're not alone. Let's pray. Father God, sometimes, as you know, it's the simplest things and the things you say most often that we find hardest to digest and receive and live by. So thank you for repeating in your words so many times that you're with us and nothing will separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. May the truth of this fill our hearts and minds and may it become more and more evident. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.